it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Thanks so much for being with us all week long. Jimmy Fallon will be with us at the bottom of the hour, host of Fox Across America, Fox News Radio. You see him all around the channel, outstanding stand-up comedian. And former Secretary of State, CIA Director, Congressman from Kansas, Mike Pompeo, in a matter of moments. Uh, But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Iran will not be receiving any sanctions relief. And in any instance where we would engage in... um, such efforts to bring Americans home from Iran, Iran's own funds would be used. Uh, Anthony Blinken, always an inspiring speaker. A foreign policy I just can't support as this administration does what I think is a dirty deal to get five Americans, Iranian Americans, out of Iran. They're in house arrest now, but at what cost? Speaking of cost, the president is asking for another $20 million for Ukraine. The problem is he's slow walking the weapons they need to win, and his delayed decisions are causing the West support to wane and make you politically troublesome to support. We'll talk about it. Number two. Crooked Joe now wants the thug prosecutor, this deranged guy, to file a court order taking away my First Amendment rights so that I can't speak. So listen to this. We don't want you to speak about the case. Really? uh, Trump trouble. Uh, Fight for the trial dates begins in earnest today. No question the former president's problems will be uh, a burden on his quest for the presidency. But should it all be shelved until the race has been run? We're going to look at the state by state races and where the polls have him today. Five months from Iowa, two weeks from the debate. Number one. You definitely have made a case that his son Hunter have trafficked on that connection to the then vice president, now president. But I haven't yet seen any evidence that the president did anything wrong. Right. Everything but a Joe Biden deposit slip influence peddling while in office. That's what this is about. That's where James Comer's investigation is. And he wants to hear from the Biden family next. Soon we will find out how much and when this multi-billion dollar deals were done. And by the way, side note, where is the money? Everyone seems, I don't know, uh, Hunter doesn't seem to have any money nor a job. With me right now is uh, Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State. Uh, uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for being here. Brian, great to be with you this morning. You have so many titles, uh, Director, Secretary, <laughs> Congressman, good guy. Yeah, go so, with Mike. <laughs> so uh, I, feel, I feel great for the families of these Iranian Americans. But what about the next five hostages that are going to be taken? I'm going to feel equally bad for them because this shows, it seems, that taking hostages pays like it always seems to do for Iran. Uh, uh, Mike, where do you go from here? You know, Brian, it's, it's not always. You'll recall that when I was Secretary of State, we, we got two Americans home from Iran. We didn't give them a nickel uh, to get them back. There are other tools of American power to get them home. And while you're right, it, it is always for these individuals who have been in Evan prison being being harmed by these butchers in Tehran. It, it's tragic to be there, and it's glorious to have them home to their families. Um, what what did we what did we do? Um, we we 
take, took $6 billion that um, I know deeply, right? It was being held by the South Koreans at our direction. And we told the South Koreans, nope, go ahead and send it to them. Um, and they're going to have $6 billion more wealth to do, you know, whatever, uh, commit terror in uh, Israel, commit, uh, commit acts of, of horrific uh, of, of horrific nature against their own people. This will make the Iranians flush, and uh, this is this is as close to a ransom payment as you can possibly get. And the, what this tells Vladimir Putin, who's held Americans, what this tells Chairman Kim, who's currently holding an American, it says we now know the market price from the Biden administration if you take an American that only incentivizes further hostage-taking, Brian. So now they say that they're going to put the money into UAE, and there's going to make sure that the money's only taken out for humanitarian causes and to feed its people. How do you possibly enforce that? Are they going to do as good a job with that as they did with Bergdahl, holding on to the Afghan uh, terrorist leaders as long as they promise not to go back? Next thing you know, they're now in the Afghan Taliban government. This is this will be a failure. You'll Brian, you'll remember oil for food in Iraq war. Same yep. kind of concept, right? In the end. Bad guys figure out a way to move money where they want the money to go. And so if you're a soldier working for Hezbollah, you're about to get a pay raise. Uh, if you're a terrorist trying to come after Americans here in the United States, uh, being paid by the Iranian Quds uh, Force, the IRGC, you're about to get a pay raise. Uh, and the, whatever mechanism is used to try and say, well, we're only going to use this for medicine or food, Brian, every American knows this. If somebody said, hey, I'll take over your health care payments and I'll take over the cost of your groceries, you have more money to spend on stuff, other things you want to. The Iranians will be the same thing, and what they want to spend money on is to build out their nuclear program. And that's bad for that's bad for our friend and ally Israel. It's bad for the Gulf. It's bad for America. And we are less safe as a result of this deal. There's no doubt about that. But you know this is the groundwork to get back into the nuclear deal. You know that. And they've already been having secret talks in Oman, and they're looking to get it going again. And that we don't even bring up the drones that they use to give to the Russians that have killed uh, more civilians than anybody else in Ukraine. It reinvigorated the Russians' war effort. We 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 can't figure out what we're doing, right? Really, are you trying to stop the Russian assault on the Ukrainian people by funding the Iranian regime to build drones and provide uh, support for the Russian forces that are sitting inside of Ukraine today? Right? And there's no American can look at this and think there's rational, logical reason for giving $6 billion to the Ayatollah and President Raisi in Iran. Um, it's, it's just bad policy for the United States. It makes no sense. And by the way, it makes it harder for the other policy things he's trying to do. You talked about Ukraine, right? When you, when you slow walk weapon systems to Ukraine, but fast walk $6 billion to the Iranians, it makes the pallets of cash deal look like chump change, Brian. Uh, I want you to hear uh, what John Kirby said yesterday, cut 19. We're certainly mindful of uh, all the bad things that Iran does to its own people uh, and to people throughout the region. Uh, you know, this is a dangerous uh, nation state and it's one we continue to challenge. Um, I don't want to get ahead of where we are, though, Martha, in terms of these negotiations. So it's a good thing to bring people home. We're not going to get ahead of things where, where we're at right now. I guess, you know, he's an admiral, which I had high hopes for him. Uh, but uh, that's where we stand. I want to move over to two things. Number one, I don't have to tell you that uh, it takes six years to, to build a naval warship. I don't have to tell you that our artillery and our weaponry has been depleted severely because we were supplying to Ukraine. I know you were Secretary of State, but you have a West Point background. You understand the Army. You understand the military. 
number one in your class. Why isn't there an all-hands-on-deck effort to pick up the process, the contracting process, in which it takes for us to deliver weapons to customers like Taiwan and to replenish our armaments, which leaves our country less safe today? Brian, this is a a failure. Uh, It's a failure of leadership, and and I'll concede um, we did better in the Trump administration, but we didn't do good enough either. There There is an entire refresh in how we procure these weapon systems how we do so efficiently so there's not waste, the money doesn't go to the wrong places, how we make commitments to our, our big military industrial partners so that they can build efficiently over the course of years the way the commercial world works. We, we are dangerously exposed when we don't have the tools we need, to your point, uh, to provide just simple 155 rounds to the Ukrainians, uh, some simple weapon systems to the Taiwanese that they're prepared to pay for and make sure that we have the tools, whether it's ships or – armaments themselves for our soldiers, sailors, and Marines sufficient to do uh, what its task is, which is deter our adversaries, most importantly, deterring the Chinese Communist Party from what Xi Jinping is surely thinking might be possible under the Biden administration. So right now, if we can pivot over to China, President Biden said something at a fundraiser yesterday. He forgets he's president and presser there. He called China a ticking time bomb. He says uh, they do bad things. Uh, he went on to say, when bad folks have problems, they do bad things. Uh, the, uh, he went on to say, I don't want to hurt China, but I'm watching them. Now, I do believe China's an evil uh, uh, adversary of America, but I also know as leader of this country who has spent the last year kissing their butt, sending his secretary of state, his secretary of treasury, his emissaries there to try to have a reapproach. Is this the right tact? Which one are you? One minute he's saying, yes, he's a dictator. Next minute he's calling him bad. And then he's saying, well, you know, I want to be able to approach him. What's wrong with, what's wrong with this leadership style? Well, let's, let's be clear. If you're Xi Jinping, you, you saw those remarks too. And you think, what on earth is the American president saying? What, what, what's his view? And that, that kind of uncertainty, that kind of, that kind of absence of clarity is the very essence of appeasement, right? It, it gets to the failure to deter to make clear to Xi Jinping, though, there'll be real costs. You fly a spy balloon over the United States of America, we're going to impose costs. You you sail with the Russians too close to our islands off the coast of Alaska, there will be consequences. Instead, the Biden administration says, gosh, can't we just have one more meeting? Or can't I send Secretary Kerry to China to, to urge you to reduce the number of coal-fired power plants you're producing because climate change is more important than American security? These are the things, Brian, you, you, you nailed it. These are the things that worry me the most because it sends a message to our adversaries, and Xi Jinping and China are certainly that. It sends a message that America isn't serious about protecting the things that matter to it most. And when you do that, the, the bad guys decide it's time. Like, what's the old Southwest Airlines line? They feel free to move about the cabin. And that's dangerous. That's funny. Not many people are quoting Southwest Airlines these days, but Mike Pompeo <laughs> is. Shows you, you're getting used to civilian life. Uh, so, so, Congressman, uh, Mr. Secretary, Director, so a couple of things that are, that are taking place right now. we got an election going on, and we're making fast progress over something that should have been fleshed out in 2020, and that's uh, Joe Biden using his influence and power that he's acquired since the 1970s in Washington to possibly make his family extremely wealthy. When Chris Christie, obviously at war with the current with the former President uh, Trump, was asked about this, this is what he said, cut seven. Why would you send Jared Kushner to the Middle East when you have Rex Tillerson and Mike Pompeo as secretaries of state? We found out the answer six months after he left office. Two billion dollars. 
from the Saudis to Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, $2 billion. And because he did all this and more with his family, he's normalizing this conduct. And now we have another president who's doing exactly the same thing and allowing Hunter Biden to run roughshod, making money from foreign governments and selling access to Joe Biden. You want to take that on? Uh, you bet. Look, I, I love Governor Christie. He's he's a friend, um, but he's just comparing two situations that are fundamentally different. What what President Biden did is he, uh, while he was in office, supported his child and his children's businesses by selling the American brand and by selling American access. Hunter, Hunter Biden no more delivered value to the Ukrainians or the Chinese or to the uh, the widow of the mayor of Moscow than a man in the moon. We see no evidence that he did anything at all, that he delivered any value. Uh, what Mr. Kushner is doing, at least according to the reporting, is he's actually engaged in a business transaction. Uh, and those are fundamentally different things, and President Trump's no longer in office. What, what President Biden appears to have done is to have sold access to the vice president's office by getting on the phone and at least creating the perception in the mind of the Ukrainian business people that they had access to decision makers inside of Washington. And I hope we get all the facts. I hope we clear it up. I hope President Biden will speak to this very directly. But these situations are very different, Brian. And there absolutely is. And I'm a, I'm a good friend. I've, I like to think I'm good friends with Governor Christie, too. But he couldn't be more wrong in the timeline and everything he said. Kushner was yeah, over there. It. You stop me if I'm wrong, focusing on Middle East peace. And they laughed at him. And they that oftentimes... Well, Secretary of State will handle all issues, but they'll have somebody as an envoy or emissary in the Middle East, usually Israeli and Palestinians, separate from the Secretary of State, but probably serving under. And Kushner was focused on this plan, and it produced the Abraham Accords. And then the $2 billion had nothing to do with that. Brian, Brian, I I lived it. Jared was a fantastic partner to me. We, We worked along with our ambassadors in the region. There's a big team, Secretary Mnuchin all working. And Jared really led this effort that led to the Abraham Accords. He was in it. He worked his tail off. And we delivered an amazing outcome for the world and for the region. Uh, and he, Jared should be proud of that. We're all very proud of it. And uh, the, the American people are safer. The chance that we have to send our young kids to fight and die some someday in the Middle East is lower as a result of the work that we did. And it's historic. The Abraham Accords is something no one wants to give you guys credit for because it would have helped Donald Trump get reelected. But I never in my lifetime studying this ever thought there'd ever be any type of uh, peace there, let alone a recognition, which evidently is about to happen. They're about five months away. Saudi Arabia, barring any major world event, is about to recognize Israel. And that was the that was what you guys would have been working on your second term had you decided to stick around had Donald Trump won. But what was happening, what was the common denominator? It was, yeah, these are less than perfect regimes, but Iran's the worst. And when you bring Iran in, you could say goodbye to that hedge that you had to bring these peace accords to fruition. Am I correct? You got it exactly right. Our central central proposition that got us to this historic peace understanding between Gulf states and Israel was this. Look, Iran is bad. They're They're the primary cause of terror in the region. Let's isolate them. And we had isolated them like no other time in history. Second, uh, look, the, the, the challenge of the Palestinians uh, in Judea and Samaria is real. We're going to try and fix it. We want their lives to be better, too, but we're not going to let that stand in the way of peace. And once you did those two things, once you punished the regime in Iran, and once you made clear we're going to build out peace, 
amazing things happen. And I do hope uh, that there are further countries that establish relationships with Israel uh, in the Gulf. It would be good for Israel, good for those nations, and really good for the United States as well. And, Mr. Secretary, are you getting close to deciding who you want to be the Republican nominee? Uh, I'm very confident I don't want the nominee from the Democrat Party to be President Biden, and I do not want the president to be from their party. That I'm sure of, Brian. Got it. Uh, Do you believe the president's uh, legal problems should prevent him from running? Uh, Oh, you're talking about President Trump or President Biden? (laughs) Um, No, I think think the American people are perfectly capable of sorting this all out. Ms. Secretary, thanks so much. You knew we were against a break. That's amazing. Great intuition. Back in a moment. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I just can't. I can't accept either party, to be honest with you. Right so now. why don't you either become an independent? Why don't you say, you know what, I, you say, you've said many times that you're not like the Democrats today or the National Democratic Party. You're not like the National Republican Party. Why not just say, you know what, I'm going to be an independent. You thought about that? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Are you going to do it? Because, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking seriously. What's the best? For me, I have to have peace of mind, basically. I the brand has become so bad. The D brand and R brand. You're thinking serious. I don't want to put seriously. words in your mouth. I want to understand. Yeah. So you're thinking seriously about becoming an independent. I would think very seriously about that. I've been thinking about that for quite some time. I haven't made any decisions whatsoever on any of my political direction. I want to make sure that my voice is truly an independent voice. So that's Joe Manchin, and here's why I think I believe him. Is because he can't. I don't think he can beat Jim Justice. Jim Justice is up by about 20, 30 points in West Virginia. He doesn't want to lose. And the Democratic ticket, that seat's going to flip. So rather than get out, why don't I run for president under no labels? Or I could run uh, as an independent. But that would make no sense because then you'd lose the Democratic support, whatever there was in West Virginia. So at 75 years old, does he want to go out losing? Or does he want to go out on his own terms, running for president, no labels? If he does that, conventional wisdom is he hurts Joe Biden or any Democrat more. Uh, And by the way, Cornell West could destroy Joe Biden's chance of reelection. We'll discuss that and so much more at the bottom of the hour with Jimmy Fallon and have some fun. Uh, You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. How can my corrupt political opponent, crooked Joe Biden, put me on trial during an election campaign that I'm winning by a lot, but forcing me nevertheless to spend time and money away from the campaign trail in order to fight bogus, made-up accusations and charges. That's what they're doing. I'm sorry, I won't be able to go to Iowa today. I won't be able to go to New Hampshire today because I'm sitting in a courtroom on bullshit. He is ticked off, obviously, the former president of the United States, up by 32 points in Iowa, even more over in New Hampshire, winning nationally. But today is a big day. Why? 
well, the government's going to come forward and they're going to say, we want to start this trial January 2nd. Both sides will say, one will say why it works. Say it takes four to five weeks. Let's do it. And then the Trump team will say, are you kidding me? You know how much more I have to do? And plus, on average, when there's a case like this, usually wait two to three years. Joining us now, Jimmy Fallon, host of Fox Across America, might be joining Trump's legal team if the money <laughs> is right and you have the free time. Would you join his legal team? I mean, there's a lot of turnover. I probably would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's not like you're altering your life for long. Right. Like, you know, three weeks, couple of TV hits, you're out the door. How long, and how, long, yeah, how long do you think you would last for Trump? <laughs> I'd be in the carnival goldfish of right. lawyers. You know what you would probably be? Mm-hmm. I would be, I think that you'd last forever because you'd go, yeah, let Trump be Trump. Doesn't really matter. Just get out of the way. Right. I'd be an enabler, like right. a bad third base coach. You know, wave him home Willie Randolph. The Yankees, when Willie Randolph was a third base coach, he'd send the runner under any circumstance. Like, Paul O'Neill would be coming around third on a walker. He couldn't even stand up right anymore. He'd be like, Willie, like, you got this. That'd right. be me. You know, who was wor- you know who was worse? Yeah. Bud Harrelson oh, for the Mets. Buddy. Remember? Yeah. Uh, like a, a small, like a, uh, a shallow <laughs> uh, a shallow single to left, and Bud's going to send Rusty. <laughs> Rusty <laughs> Stout's yeah. heading for home. I love right. it. So um, so this is it. I find this whole thing fascinating because, as it was explained to me, if this trial takes place with this Punisher judge, mm-hmm. with this D.C. jury, which the president's gone out of his way to poison, or even worse because he says it's successful. Yep. So he does this. He gets convicted. He goes to jail while they appeal it. Yeah. So they'll put him in jail in February before Super Tuesday? Are you insane? Well, that's, well, you know what that'll do to this country? Oh, of course. But that's kind of the proof here that I think the process is the punishment. They're throwing this wrench into the spoke because they don't need him to go to jail. Obviously, what you're discussing is a worst-case scenario. But just the fact that we've got this boxing match and essentially the referee is going to be tying one of the fighter's arms behind his back. I mean, it's not fair, okay, to the campaign. It's not fair to the voters. But this speaks to that reality that I don't even know, you know, that they think they're going to get a conviction so much as they're going to hamstring his process. It's like Russia. They started the Mueller probe knowing he didn't collude with Russia. So they were basically trying to kill him in a death-by-a-thousand-cut scenario where it self-destructs fire Mueller and make it look like there was something to hide. Right. And that's, I think, what they're hoping for here is they're trying to trigger some type of implosion. But the worst-case scenario is they just impede his ability to campaign. While arresting everybody around him and Wait, charging. Insane. Right. Like, this isn't okay. This is why I don't want you to take the job on his legal team. Because <laughs> Paul Manafort, down. for example, said, hey, I can't believe it. I'm running a campaign again. Next thing you know, he's in solitary confinement in a jumpsuit, and he did nothing wrong. Nothing. Jimmy, would you take the fall for the president having not done anything wrong? Would you go to, <laughs> would you go to jail for him? I would because I have no priors. Like, I right. don't know how hard they're going to be on me. Right. I know I sound like a guy with a few priors. But no, I'm actually, you know, solid model citizen, you know. Did, did you hear a Rikers Island? is so bad, mm-hmm. uh, not even for a prison, that the federal government wants to take it over. Is that true? Evidently, one of the things they're doing is just letting prisoners just walk around. <laughs> they they, just what let are them, the bars for? They've just let themselves go. Yeah. They're <laughs> just suggestions <laughs> now. It's Listen, a, I prefer you stay in your cell block, but the option is yours. <laughs> More of a resort now. It's an all-inclusive. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> although John Kesmatiz did recommend that's where we should put the illegal immigrants that have come to our country. That's gone well, hasn't Why it? Why not? I mean, listen, the, the nice thing about it is they've spent enough time in New York now that they actually miss the third world countries. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually backfiring. They're calling home on the free cell phones like, it's actually pretty bad here, you guys. So uh, this is the polling right now in Iowa. Trump with 43, DeSantis 17, Scott with 11. What? On the march, Ramaswamy with five. So uh, the big change is uh, DeSantis has dropped nine. 
and Scott has surged to third. What? He's worked hard. He's been optimistic. Mm-hmm. I notice him and Trump do not argue. No. Did you notice that? No. Timmy, I like Timmy. Yeah, Tim's like a good guy. You yeah. know, Tim goes, uh, you know, maybe he has some vice presidential aspirations, but I think um, personally he's got his eye on a bigger prize at this point because this is the reality. DeSantis, for whatever reason, has failed to connect. It's not to say he couldn't turn it around, but I think he's playing into the narrative that he's a Scott Walker by shaking up his staff as much as he has. When everything you do is scrutinized so intensely, because DeSantis really is public enemy number one, I don't think you can feed into it by starting to make what look like panic moves. Not to say his campaign's done a good job. But when you're doing it in the eye of the storm, it certainly raises the specter that, yeah, there's something to the fact that this thing's imploding. Tim Scott and the fact that they've spent as much money on him in Iowa as they have is proof that the people with the money, you know, they say in Vegas, like the sharps, the sharps don't see DeSantis closing this gap. So you invest in Tim Scott, not because you think he could beat Trump, but because there is a reality where Trump might not be on the ticket, man. I mean, that's that's reality. If the guy goes to jail, I don't doubt he's going to continue to run because there's no stopping him. Right. But, you know, it really might change the national conversation. What are they saying, Vegas? Sharps? What's yeah, that? the sharp money, the smart money, you know, stuff like, you know. Guy, once in a while, you'll see like an 81, 82 to one horse win convincingly. It's because, you know, the people with the money knew something we didn't. <laughs> the, who the, do, you, who the, do you hang out with? Listen, I grew up at the Roosevelt Raceway. I, I grew <laughs> up in Levittown. I had a grandmother who, you know, Sicilian grandmother used to end every conversation with, when I was five, kill me. She'd go, I love you, honey. Don't ever put anything in writing. I was like, Grandma, what's going on? What's <laughs> right. Going on? I can't write yet. It's I'm pretty yeah, safe. So you're safe there. <laughs> right. right. So um, I don't think I have to tell you mm-hmm. uh, that Hunter Biden's been in the news lately. Ooh. Yeah, the hunt you man. Can, yeah. You have a pen ready? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so the Eric Sherwin could be next to testify. Yep. And he's the guy that split from the family but had most of the banking records, knew the money. He'd be the guy who'd say, hey, uh, Hunter, get some money from your dad for your taxes. Hey, uh, make sure your dad uh, pays money for this. Mm -hmm. He'd be the one. So this guy could blow the lid off it. What do you say to people who claim there's not much evidence, hard evidence against Hunter or against Joe yet? Well, I think that's insane because the truth is where you have to start, okay, and this is how they solve murders. They don't ask a guy, did you kill her? And he says yes. They solve the murder by realizing the guy has lied to them about everything leading up to the murder. Okay, follow me. In this instance, what would the murder be? Joe, did you get money as a government official from your son's influence peddling overseas? Okay, he's answering that question, no. But he's lied on every step of the way, okay? Was your son's laptop real? No. Did you talk to your son about his business? No. Did you talk to his business partners? No. These are the lies you're telling the prosecutors on the way to the actual big charge, okay? If the witness is lying about the first four things, he's not suddenly telling the truth about the fifth, you know? So there'd be no reason for Biden to lie about those things unless he had something to hide. And that's just just reason right there. Right. And I I love that Admiral Kirby yesterday – said that the president answered the questions. It shows this. He's been having the same answer. Excuse me. Two days ago, uh, Peter Ducey had to hop a bike rack to get one question in. Yeah. And before he could follow up, he turned and walked away. And they're pretending like that suffices for President of the United <laughs> he's, States. He's and his been, answer ended. Stopped all the critics and the chirping. Sure. Allowed, he, he made a journalist do CrossFit. To right. Get, uh, to get an actual question in and then told them it was lousy and walked away. Right. OK, listen, the reason these co- questions continue to surface is because these were massive lies told by the Biden family. And everybody in the media should be demonstrating a little more intellectual curiosity than what we're seeing right now. 
And that's the scam right there. So, listen, mm-hmm. we know that the laptop is real. Mm-hmm. We know that the president called in at least 10 times over the course, 20 times over the course of 10 years, according to Devin Archer, mm-hmm. on speakerphone. We know he had dinner with the, with the Moscow mayor as well as the Burisma executive. All this stuff we know. We were told none of that was true. Yep. Now it turns out they're all true. Then we heard it was just I'm passing by, said hello to the table. Then Archer goes, no, no, he stayed for dinner. Yeah. He stuck around. Okay. <laughs> So listen to Admiral Kirby get this question from Martha McCallum yesterday on your favorite channel, Fox News. Uh, The president said, I never talked business to anybody. Um, But Devin Archer testified that the point of putting the phone, the speakerphone down at those meetings, which is what Peter was asking about, was just to demonstrate access that Hunter had access to the then vice president uh, and to sell the Biden brand. So what do you say about that, John? And, and when will the president actually answer some of these questions to put some of this to rest himself? Oh, my goodness, Martha. I mean, he just did with Peter. I mean, he's the one who called Peter over and had Peter, you know, risk life and limb cutting across that barrier. I mean, he specifically called Peter over. Uh, right. And, he, you know, look, he knows Peter. He knows Peter's not going to ask some softball question about, uh, you know, about uh, how his vacation was. He, he knows who Peter is, and he answered that question. He told them it was a lousy question. Case closed. Yeah, well, in that case, we're done. Right. Forget, you know, again, I think we're being unreasonable. It's like, other than the bank records, the photographs, the notes from Biden to Hunter's business partners, the 20 phone calls, the testimony under The firing of the prosecutor. Yeah, there's really not a lot to go on here. I think we're really jumping to conclusions here, Kimmy. Right. And by by the way, this is is the overarching thing that Peter Schweitzer wrote the original book that alerted us uh, to this relationship, at least in my case. Mm -hmm. He came out and said, no one can tell me. What was the business about? Tell me what Hunter was selling, yeah. except for the influence, and tell me who had it. Show me anybody that had it except Joe. Mm-hmm. Nobody had it except Joe. Total scam, and that's the right. hook. So let's see. Mm-hmm. We have concluded this. Mm-hmm. We have we were willing to go through this investigation. How is CNN handling it? Let's listen. Cut one. You definitely have made a case that the – People who are around President Biden in terms of the lobbyists and his son Hunter have trafficked on that connection to the then vice president, now president. But I haven't yet seen any evidence that the president did anything wrong. Good. So we can get over this. Can I move on, uh, Jimmy? Nothing to see here. Why are we even discussing? Right. (laughs) That was like this is the part and shame on them because. They, again, were people who were out there front and center saying the laptop was fake. Remember, they were, Jake sure. Tapper is a guy that was trying to kill this story at its inception. There was no laptop. In the crib. There was no business. Nobody was involved. And now we've taken it down to, well, you don't have a video of him handing him a bag of cash. Right. Well, yeah, we're probably not going to get one because that's how this works. Where is the deposit slip? <laughs> here is, you answer me, sir. Uh, here's, uh, here's Tapper and Comer. Cut uh-huh. to. What did the president do wrong, though? Well, remember, when we started this investigation at the end of January, that's when I got subpoena fire, the last week of January, the narrative was the laptop was Russian disinformation. Joe Biden's family never received money from China. Joe Biden's family never received any of this money while he was vice president. And Joe Biden never communicated with any of the people that sent his family this money. All four of those things have been proven false. So our investigations already turned up a lot of information. Now, I think even though there may not be any curiosity by by my friends at CNN, I think there's curiosity by a majority of Americans that, wait a minute, you're telling me... I'm very Joe curious Biden's about it, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about it. That's why I'm reading your reports. That's why I have you on the show. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. That well, the guy did, tried, did, just yeah. say, Jake, uh, there if there's no product. Yeah. The product they don't. He's not selling Amway. Yeah. The product <laughs> is actually Joe's influence. Uh-huh. And what about the deposits that happened before Joe's meeting? What about the meet? What about the dinner with these people in Georgetown? Mind you, that if this business is legitimately being done. Why are the funds transferring through 15 shell companies and winding up in the grandkids' bank accounts? I'm sure, you know, back in the day, you'd go out to dinner and split the check. Right. Okay? <laughs> I don't ever think anyone asked you to Venmo them 15 different addresses before the money wound up where it had to go. So, again, you I don't know if I can answer you these questions because you might be joining Trump's legal team. <laughs> so I don't know if you're in the position. i got to retain so I, myself. So I retain Jonathan Turley. Here's what he said went wrong. Cut for Well, we've heard this drumbeat recently that uh, the media is now acknowledging that, sure, Hunter Biden was selling influence and access, but it was an illusion. And there's no proof that Joe Biden got an envelope full of money or a direct deposit to his account. Therefore, there's nothing here. Democrats have constantly said, stop asking questions because you don't have that type of direct evidence of benefits. Well, that's just ridiculous. I mean, obviously, all of these payments benefit Joe Biden. It's going to the Biden family fund. You know, Joe Biden is 80 years old. He's worth at least $8 million. He's not going to spend that. People at his age, his wealth, are largely preoccupied during these days with leaving a legacy for their children, for their grandchildren. This was a great benefit in that sense. Well, largely occupied with leaving a legacy for most of their grandchildren. Right. I'm yeah, correct not Mr. All. Turley there. Right. Fine analysis. Yeah. The whole thing's a scam. I mean, you know that and I know that. Right. And it's just, ba- it's just based on a very simple horse sense. When the witness lies about the first four things, they're not telling you the truth about the fifth. When we come back, Jimmy talks about the moon landing. Oh, that's a thing. When we come back, Jimmy maybe has an announcement? Yeah, no, there's things. We're going to get into it. You promise? Yeah, high security clearance information coming your way. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The moon land, that beautiful moment of unity and progress. What if it was all both hot? My name is Jimmy Fallon. And I'm on a nationwide mission to uncover the truth about one of the oldest and wildest conspiracy theories of all time. Along the way, I'll be joined by the experts. And unlike every CDC task force ever assembled, we encourage different perspectives. The easiest way to fake the moon landing would be to shoot it on the moon. You have four times the proof necessary to prove that the moon landings are fake. There was never a point where I doubted that the moon landings were real. I taught Neil Armstrong everything he knows. (laughs) You're laughing. Uh, that, of course, is Jimmy Fallon. It's giving us an idea what the Fox Nation special is all about. Uh, when are we gonna? When are you going to finally drop this thing? When are you going to uh, be done with it? Now it's live. Moon it landing is. fact of fiction. It's live today. You can get it on Fox Nation. That's the breaking news. That was the thunderous voice of William Shatner at the end. He had introduced me. I was filming on Hollywood Boulevard. Apparently he's some kind of a struggling actor. And uh, to make he had banged his way into the project. And, you know, right. it's all about giving back. When you right. get to the position I'm in, you say to a, a struggling guy like Shatner, you know, here's a bone. So right. I threw him in there. You know, without Leonard, he was leaning on Leonard Newman. Leonard, Leonard yeah, Newman Newman had carried him for far too long. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, Moon Landing Factor Fiction, no spoiler alerts, Kilmead. I can't tell you how it ends. But yeah. we issue a verdict over whether or not we made it after taking a deep dive into the realm of conspiracy. Is this 
better than Oppenheimer or? I've been told that they wouldn't have released Oppenheimer if they knew something this good was coming out. I know you interviewed Nolan and he loves you. Right. But I do think, you know, in the words of Tom Petty, he will back down if he knew this was out. So, Jimmy, you said you've heard. Mm -hmm. Could you give me, tell me who has told you that Oppenheimer wouldn't have been released if you're a special I'm not supposed to reveal my sources and methods. You're refusing. This is, yeah, this is one of those moments where, you know, the DOJ can't cooperate with your subpoena. But you're not done yet with announcements. No. uh, If you're listening anywhere in the tri-state area or be Beyond it, uh, tickets are going to go on sale next week. My one-hour stand-up comedy special, this is a big deal, is filming at the Paramount in Huntington on Long Island. And we tape the show Friday night, October the 13th. So if you come down, you get rowdy, you'll watch the show, and you'll be in the show when it airs on Fox because that's going to be, you know, the audience we use for the special. I mean, you have the biggest names. Kevin James, all these guys play Everybody the Paramount. plays there. Yeah, yeah. But now their ship has really sailed in. And, right. Uh, our man, Meaning you. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is obviously a big deal for them. You know, right. Whitney Houston once sang, give me one moment in time. Well, congratulations, Paramount. You got it. So, Jimmy, once again, you're giving reports that it's a big deal for them. Can you give me names of people who said it's big? Oh, my Aunt Fran right. um, in, in Carl Place, Long Island. I my admit. mom says this is ma- massive. That's two. Yes, thank you. Okay. Right. And oh, I, that's all you need. Yeah, that's all you I need. just want to It's double source. See, the first one, first one I doubt, but the this second one This is real journalism. So when do we listen to your radio show? Uh, Fox Cross America coming on at noon today, right after you, the Badon Pass. And please wear that. <laughs> From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. This hour is going to be exciting. You're going to hear from Dr. Jordan Peterson, one of the most fascinating personalities in America, born in Canada, a clinical psychologist, best-selling author, great on live events, here on Joe Rogan and everything else. And, of course, we come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. When he comes into town, I said, let's just go do it. And we did it. And you'll hear more from Jordan Peterson on One Nation, Saturday night, 8 o'clock Eastern time. So that's on Fox News Channel. A lot going on today. We're continuing to uh, follow Iowa. Why Iowa? Because the President of the United States, uh, foreign president, is going to be there on Saturday. All the candidates who are serious about winning the caucus will be there today and tomorrow. And, of course, they'll, the governor will have their sit-down town hall-ish uh, feature of all these of all these candidates. But guess who turned it down? President Trump, kind of mad at the governor of Iowa. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Iran will not be receiving any sanctions relief. And in any instance where we would engage in um, such efforts to bring Americans home from Iran, Iran's own funds would be used. Foreign policy, I just can't support. The administration does what I think is a dirty deal to get five Iranian Americans out of Iran. They're in house arrest. They're going to get six billion in return, unfrozen from you, uh, from South Korea. Meanwhile, in Ukraine, the president wants twenty million more. The problem, he doesn't talk about the reasons for the war. Sell the American public, nor does he give the Ukrainians the weapons they need to win. Number two. Crooked Joe now wants the thug prosecutor, this deranged guy, to file a court order taking away my First Amendment rights so that I can't speak. So listen to this. We don't want you to speak about the case. That's true. Trump trouble. Fight for the trial date begins in earnest today. No question the former president's problems would be a burden on his quest for the presidency. But should it all but shelve the race until he decides what's he going to do? What about the rest of the field? Can they break out before the five months from now in the caucus? 
and two weeks from now in the debate. Number one. You definitely have made a case that his son Hunter have trafficked on that connection to the then vice president, now president. But I haven't yet seen any evidence that the president did anything wrong. Everything but a Joe Biden deposit slip. Influence peddling while in office. That's where the James Comer investigation is. And now he wants to hear from the Biden family. Soon we will. And they will be front and center, as will another partner, Eric Sherwin. We'll talk about the multimillion dollar deals uh, and so much more. So a couple of things that happened this week I think are significant. Paul Sperry, one of our guests yesterday, came on and said, I realized everything that they wrote about in 2020 as it as it surrounds Hunter Biden and the laptop was wrong. And I'm talking about the fact checker, the Washington Post. Oftentimes, bad as that sounds, the standard bearer on truth and honesty. And they basically said the laptop wasn't real. The president never met with the Hunter Biden's business people. Why did Glenn Kessler say that? Glenn Kessler said it because when he saw what was in the New York Post, he thought it would be a good idea to call the Biden administration and see if they agreed. Shockingly, they didn't. Problem now is the investigation revealed that began in earnest in January that the president met or talked to through speakerphone Hunter's business partners, according to Devin uh, Archer, over the course of their 10-year business relationship 20 times. The problem is they wrote it never happened. The problem is the president had a meeting at Georgetown on the 14th in a famous hotel restaurant. President said he never went there. The problem is he did. Devin Archer proved it. It ends up he was there. In the beginning, they said he walked by. Then it turns out he sat there for an entire dinner. So instead of saying we were wrong, they updated the story. That's what everyone's doing, updating the story. Influence peddling using President Biden as the influencer. Why do I think it was him? It's the only product that the Bidens had to sell. They were consistently selling. What emerged yesterday is a picture on Air Force Two of then-Vice President Biden en route to Ukraine with a billion dollars in his pocket. We would know eventually to fire a prosecutor. The person in this briefing him on the meeting or something on the plane was somebody with direct contact with Hunter Biden who had expressed via text that it doesn't look good for Hunter B to be involved with the Burisma Energy Company when the pre- vice president was in charge of Ukraine. And we know that he had relationship with how many more ties do you need to this story? Listen to Jake Tapper. Tap around the facts. Cut two with James Comer. What did the president do wrong, though? Well, remember, when we started this investigation at the end of January, that's when I got subpoena fire, the last week of January. The narrative was the laptop was Russian disinformation. Joe Biden's family never received money from China. Joe Biden's family never received any of this money while he was vice president. And Joe Biden never communicated with any of the people that sent his family this money. All four of those things have been proven false. So our investigations already turned up a lot of information. Now, I think even though there may not be any curiosity by by my friends at CNN, I think there's curiosity by a majority of Americans that, wait a minute, you're telling me I'm very Joe curious Biden's about it, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm very okay. curious about it. Right. That's why I'm reading your reports. That's why I have you on the show. OK, but he has to use some deductive reasoning, just a fraction of which he used for the Russia investigation, which turned out to be a complete hoax. Russians had nothing to do with collaborating with the former president of the United States. OK, so use some deductive reasoning. Now, Elizabeth Warren, who's always talking about the evils of Washington, 
was asked about this Hunter Biden and how bad it looks for the Biden, who happens to be the leader of her party. She couldn't get to the point. She couldn't get to the point where I am very upset at President Biden. By the way, when he was Vice President Biden trying to get the nomination, Elizabeth Warren destroyed him. Cut three. So far, we haven't seen any direct evidence pointing to Joe Biden, President Biden, doing anything illegal. But I do wonder people close to Joe Biden or people close to Donald Trump, but I'm talking about Joe Biden, making tens of millions of dollars because of their closeness to him. That can't be something that you like. That can't be something that you're comfortable with um, as a phenomenon. Look, I, I always worry about the influence peddlers in Washington, regardless of party affiliation. I've spent a lot of my time in Congress working on is how we bring just more ethics. So doesn't want to answer the question. Um, this is surrounding him. He answered one question since July 15th. And before that, it was months. And the one time he sat down was with the Weather Channel, at which time they want him to be more green. They want him to ban more federal lands from drilling. So not even a real interview. So let's look at what the Biden campaign is doing. If you want to hear about the lack of enthusiasm, I think it's best displayed by his campaign manager. Uh, this is Julio uh, Cesar Chavez's great-granddaughter. Of course, the problem with the president, he can't get Hispanic votes. And the worry that Democrats have overarching where he is Hispanic votes. So that's everything to do with why she's a campaign manager. You talk about low energy. Listen to this, cut eight. Keeping the conversation going about enthusiasm, just kind of bigger picture. We've seen a lot of polls that show voters aren't that enthusiastic about a Joe Biden reelection. And just last month, CNN had a poll that found 75 percent of Democratic and Democratic leaning voters want someone else. How do you turn that around? Well, we know that, you know, polls are snapshots in time, um, and we know that it's important that we're not taking anything and any vote for granted um, this election cycle. And so, um, you know, we're excited that we have built, um, you know, an incredible sort of early start to our campaign, um, the enthusiasm that we're seeing from a broad coalition of supporters. Oh, what a dial tone. Don't believe it. When we come back, we talk about life philosophy, where we're at as a nation, and more with Dr. Jordan Peterson, clinical psychologist. You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson, the outstanding clinical psychologist, best-selling author, probably one of the most successful podcasters in the country, you probably saw him, heard him for the first time with Joe Rogan, came into the studio, and we just sat for a, for a half hour. Here is part one of my interview. I think you're going to love it. And we begin with what's going on with kids in the workplace. They forgot how to act. Listen. It turns out new hires in 2023, according to a new study, are totally unprepared for work and life. Not saying everybody, but a lot of them. Psychologist and author Dr. Jordan Peterson joins us now. Dr. Peterson, great to see you. Thank you very much. So when this study popped up, we thought you got to weigh in on this. They say that Gen Zers come in, they're sincere, but if they have no necessary instinct on what to do next, find them a lot sitting idly by waiting for instructions on what to do next. Does that make sense to you? Something about this generation that would have trouble being self-motivated. Well, I think that if you set up an education system that's designed 
to do nothing but demoralize young people and to convince them that their ambition is dangerous and, well, even world-threatening for that matter, a manifestation of patriarchal oppression on the social front and then a danger to the survival of the planet on the natural front, then, and you don't do anything to foster that ambition and to channel it into a manner that might be productive and to tell young people why their ambition might be useful, then you're going to get exactly that. So you hit what you aim at if you try hard enough, and the education system has been trying to demoralize people for 60 years. One of the, one of the things that really stuns me, you know, I haven't been able to figure this out yet. I've been trying to talk to Republican governors about this. I cannot understand why conservatives have been daft enough to allow the faculties of, educa of education to retain their hammerlock on teacher certification for the last 60 years. It's insane. You mean the criteria to get the certification and what's exactly. in it? You have to be trained in a faculty of education to become a teacher. Why? They're the most woke element of the entire rotten university carcass. And they have the hammerlock on 50% of the state budgets. You know, the conservatives are always complaining about the culture war. It's like, well, you handed all the young people to the faculties of education, right? Their research is terrible. It's low rate. Their students are generally uh, very uh, incompetent, comparatively speaking, on the academic front. You know, it's foolish. It, and this is the outcome. It's not surprising. And it's a way to, to work on the foundation. And when you have an RNC chair or a DNC chair, if you have an agenda, that's what to work on. Don't get Mr. and Mrs. Uh, uh, candidate elected. Start focusing on, on the direction you want the country in and find out how to... Um, how to give people an education that will allow them to very least think, but not what to think. Well, the left-wingers in the 1960s were far-seeing enough, the more radical types, to envision a decades-long march through the institutions, right? And one of their goals was the capture of educational institutions, and that's happened completely, and that's been absolutely abetted by conservatives who tend to get lost in the details. And... Right. Um, well, then, you think now you have young people who are demoralized and directionless. Well, they're never taught anything about how to acquire a direction. You know, we did a study. I used this program I developed called Future Authoring. We did a study where we had three studies, actually, where we had university students sit down essentially for 90 minutes. Right. 90 minutes, this was it, and write out a goal, a series of goals for their life, right? Who could they be in five years across seven important dimensions of their life and where might they be that would be terrible if they didn't get their act together. We dropped their dropout rate 50% and raised their grade point average 30 by 35%, three separate studies. So that's all you have to do if you want to motivate young people is to teach them a bit of visionary discipline and encourage it. And we do the opposite of that. Plus, we terrify them, trigger warnings. We tell them that everything's dangerous. We tell the them earth have, is burning up. Yeah, the well, there's warming. that too, and right. you know we're we're headed for the apocalypse. And, and your ambition is making it worse. Which I think the pandemic is so interesting on that is because I think adults too said to themselves they, they forced most of the population was forced to put their life on pause, and just said slow down, stop, go home. No, we're making you go go home. So. Uh, not me. We, I was lucky enough to keep working, but I had to work remotely. Uh, everyone's life changed. And people took a deep breath and they said, why am I in this job? Why is it necessary for me to do this? Uh, if life does stop, nothing will change. It seems like our population got off the treadmill and said, why, why, why get back on? 
and they're having trouble getting back on. When they get back on, they're not as motivated because they don't know why they're doing it. And you said to me in the break on Fox and Friends this weekend, it's because they don't have goals. They don't have a vision. If you have a vision, that leads to happiness. Why? Because you have a mission. You have yeah. a direction. Because you know what you want the end game to be. And that's mm -hmm. back to your 15 minutes. It also You put that 15 minutes and you find out what your end game is. Don't tell me you don't know. Work on it. It does two things. Having a goal. Well, if you have a goal and it's a collective goal, that unites people. So a, a collective vision is what unites people because then everyone is heading in the same direction. Right. Everyone regards the same things as positive. Everybody uses the same structure to protect themselves from anxiety and their emotions are aligned. So a goal, a united goal, a collective goal is what unites us. All right. Then on the individual front, if you have a goal and you see yourself taking steps towards it, that is what produces positive emotion and positive motivation, that enthusiastic desire to get up and go. And it also stops anxiety because you either have a goal or you're fragmented. If you're fragmented, you don't know which direction to go in. That gives you too many directions. That makes you anxious. That's what anxiety signals. Paralysis. Mm -hmm. I don't even know well, where to go. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm out. Right. I'm out. Yeah. And, and I think that what you just said with that 15 minutes is so important. Because, especially with teenagers, just in college, just graduate, I don't really know what I want to do. What do you want to mm -hmm. do? Well, that, it's fine to know that. But you've got to take action to solve that. Mm -hmm. To do that, you've got to go take action and go find out. What does Dr. Jordan Peterson do? Why does he mm -hmm. seem so fulfilled? What about the guy down the block that owns a garage? Why does he seem happy every day? Well, he always wanted to be his own business, call his own shots. He wanted to help people. But you have to go work at finding out what is effective. I think you have an obligation to make the most out of life. And I think people get the wrong... Uh, definition on happiness. Mm -hmm. What is happiness? People, happiness is not high five and necessarily smiling. It's having a mission. Well, it's also not the gratification of immediate desire. Like there's actually two forms of positive emotion. Eh? There's, there's the emotion that you feel, let's say, after having a good meal, after a Thanksgiving dinner, and that's just satiation. Okay, but satiation puts you to sleep. Right now, it's pleasant because you don't need anything, yeah. but it isn't, it isn't motivating. Motivation comes in a pursuit. You have to be pursuing a goal. And so then you have to figure out what your goal is. It's, and it's not optional. You know, the other thing for people to think about is, well, you know, you might say, well, I'm the sort of person that doesn't plan. It's like, well, that's because you're afraid. That's part of the reason. And you should overcome that. But it's also the case that if you don't have your plan, someone else has a plan for you. And whatever responsibility you abdicate will be taken up by tyrants. And whatever direction you don't provide for yourself will be provided by other people who don't have your best interest in mind. That's how it works. And that's how smart he is. Uh, more from Dr. Jordan Peterson. He loves being challenged, loves taking questions. I also will say, I did notice when he was on Fox and Friends, I saw people come out of our building a lot of young men in their 20s just had to meet him. They were starstruck. And listen, there's a lot of celebrities that come through here. Not, you know, not like uh, NBC, uh, the Today Show. That's more their, uh, that's more their breadbasket. But no, I never saw that type of reaction. People just in awe. And I asked him at the end of our interview, I said, where are you going now? He goes, well, believe it or not, I'm booked in the Middle East. I've never been there. I said, how? He goes, I had no idea. I have supporters and fans in the Middle East. But well, we've got these venues all sold out already. Think about that. Uh, you'll hear more from Jordan Peterson in a moment. Uh, right now, he's thinking about something that's going to uh, change somebody else's life, too. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here on a Friday. Don't forget, One Nation, Saturday, 8 p.m. Don't move.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I promise you more from Dr. Jordan Peterson. Uh, he talks about life. He talks about how to make your life better, things that he wouldn't personally discovered about himself uh, and where he's at right now. I mean, this guy literally had a disease that almost destroyed his life. He and his wife at the same time almost died. They bounced all the way back. He talks about that and more. Here's more from Dr. Jordan Peterson. So, Dr. Peterson, I watch you, too, in the break. People look like young hey, okay. men, especially walking up to you, kind of your autograph, asking you a quick question. Yeah. So you're helping people. And that must be a good feeling. A lot of people think, well, how do, we, how do I feel satisfied? One of the things I think is universal is there's nothing better than helping somebody. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you can do when you have a family on a regular basis, you're training, you're solving problems, bringing them to practice, bring, get them to a better school, going, doing your best to, be, mm-hmm. to make an effort to be a good parent. And that leads me to what would be an absence in my life without a family. It would just mm-hmm. be, it would almost be like not having an appendage. And now I also see in America more and more people having less kids or no kids decide yeah. not to get married yeah. or decide to be childless. And I respect everybody who makes that decision. That's fine. But do you think it points to a bigger story in the world today, in this country today? Well, one of the points that I put forward that has become rather markedly popular is the notion that the meaning that sustains you in times of trouble will be found as a consequence of adopting responsibility. See, and this is another thing conservatives haven't been very good at communicating to young people because conservatives tend to be somewhat finger-wagging in their morality. You should do this. And, you know, fair enough, there are things you should do. But there's a better story there, and the story is the one that you started to outline, which is... Well, if you, look at this, if you look at what you have at hand when times get rough, let's say, which they certainly will, you'll find that most of the genuine self-esteem that you feel and the cessation of anxiety and the pursuit of happiness is a consequence of bearing responsibility, right? You bear responsibility for yourself over the long run, for your wife or your husband over the long run, for your family, for your community. And that's a reciprocal interaction, so you'll get paid back by the people you're helping for doing that, but it also is an intrinsic source of meaning. you don't do it for meaning. that reason, too. No, no, you, yeah. do it, you do it because everything works if you do that. So the other thing, see, we thought for a long time, and this is actually can be laid at the feet of psychologists to some degree, that your happiness or even your mental stability is somehow an internal thing. It's psychological. But that's not exactly right. Your mental health and your happiness, so your freedom from anxiety and your happiness, is dependent on the harmony that you establish in, within the systems that you're embedded. So you can't be sane and happy without a long-term partner. And the data on that is quite clear, because married people are a lot happier than unmarried people. Okay? You can't be sane and together within a couple without having a family. It might be your parents and your siblings, but it should also be children, because that you have to knit that together. And then your family can't function without a functioning neighborhood, and then a community, and then a state. And the sanity is the harmony between all those levels. It's not something you carry around inside you. And it's, it's partly key to sanity, being embedded at all those levels, because none of us are capable in and of ourselves of regulating ourselves. Like when you and I are even talking right now, the communication regulates 
we regulate each other with the communication, right. right? You're saying things, I'm saying things. We're trying to keep it interesting. We're trying to move forward, you know, in a productive manner. We're both manner. stimulated and intrigued. Exactly. Well, right, right. So we have a container, which is the goal, and then there's interest being manifested. And if we do that right, we pull everyone in. Well, that's a good situation, right? And then your emotions are well regulated when all of that is happening. That key to that is responsibility. You know, we talked on the Fox and Friends episode about the fact that young men are turning more towards conservatism. Yeah. And I really believe, and I've watched this a lot, that that's because they're starting to understand more explicitly the utility of adopting a heavy load of responsibility. Now, I, I mentioned that, you know, I think the girls will go along with that in a few years. And I was thinking that through the other night. Boys go out with younger girls. There's a dichotomy between the political position of boys and girls that are the same age, but girls the same age as high school boys aren't their peers. The boys are with younger girls. The younger girls will change in that more conservative direction if the boys change first. Wow. That's what will happen. You are um, you're a deep thinker. I'm wondering, do you set time aside to think? Will you just wait for a gap in your day and stare out the window? Like, where do you get these thoughts and conclusions from? Because I also think one of your 12 axioms for a happy life, mm -hmm. one of which is you can learn something from everyone you're with. Mm -hmm. So where do you, you don't think you know everything, mm -hmm. but your viewers do and the people that buy tickets do. Where do you have time to make your conclusions and grow as a person and as an intellect? Well, I have podcasts twice a week. And so I'm always listening to someone who's smart because I find podcast guests who have something to say that I want to hear. And so when I talk to them, I have the opportunity for them to teach me. So the audience so, is benefiting and you're benefiting. Absolutely. You know, and, and the good podcast hosts are just learning and then they bring everyone along for the ride. And that's what I'm trying to do with my podcast. I always invite people from whom I want to hear because I presume they know something I don't and they do. So that's helpful. And then I write every day and writing Writing is the most formal way of thinking, right? Because you have to ask yourself a question. You have to wait for the answers. So that's kind of a revelation. Then you have to analyze the answer. And that sort of thinking is extremely useful if you want to lay things out clearly. We developed So don't let someone tell you they're not a writer. If you mm -hmm. want to be a better thinker, you should be a writer, right? Yes. Well, and you have to ask yourself, too, why you would bother thinking. And the answer to that is because if you think things through, then you can act more effectively I mean, that's the point of thought. Thought is substitute for action. So Alfred North Whitehead said, we die so that our, we think so our thoughts can die instead of us. Right. And so, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's too deep for me. You also have an essay app. Yeah, yeah. So well, we built... watch you right now go, oh, I'm a terrible writer. I'm, I'm going to skip on that advice. Yeah. And, and the essay app helps you. Yeah, at essay.app. Well, we built this word processor, essentially, that teaches people how to produce and to edit. Because writing really, writing has... And thinking has three components. You have to have a problem that you want to solve. It has to be a real problem, right? It has to beset you to some degree. Then you have to inquire humbly for a solution, and then you'll get ideas that pop up, or you can read more. You get the ideas that start to percolate. But a lot of those are going to be second-rate ideas that, you know, other people have already disproved, but you've got to get them down. Then you have to edit and organize in this essay.app. Uh, uh, process that we put together teaches people exactly how to do that. So if you're writing, you have to concentrate on each word because you should use the right word. You have to make the phrases proper and they have to be organized within sentences. And Got the you. sentences have to be sequenced properly within paragraphs and then the paragraphs sequenced properly to make the argument. You have to edit at all those levels and people don't know that, right? Ask, produce, 
organize and edit. Well, then you're clear-headed, and then you have a pathway forward, and then you're more effective communicator, and everything works out better for you. And that's partly why people shouldn't use chat GPT and these AI systems to write for them. It's like, well, you can do your damn assignment, but you're not going to learn to think, and you're not going to have any knowledge at hand. Well, that'll just cripple you in the future. Like, for example, with, I used to be good at directions when I used to get a Hagstrom, and now... My instincts have dropped through the floor. Right, right, right. I just go, okay, where am I going? I hit in the address. I don't even think. Yeah. I'm not even thinking with the, where, what part of the island I'm at or where I'm going. So, uh, right, I, so you I, don't know where you are. with AI. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. stop thinking. Why do yeah. I need it? That's a really good example, actually, because you think to navigate through the world, right? And so if you abdicate your responsibility to think, then you don't know where you are and you don't know where you're going. And that's not a recipe for either happiness or success. It's the navigation Analogy is exactly the right one. Uh, real quick on education, you talked about accommodation. So someone has uh, ADD, they're told, they're, yeah. uh, dyslexia, other things. Yeah. In the public school now, there's a lot of accommodations. Give me, give me, I'm going to give you more time for your test yeah. or things to that nature. I have trouble tracking across the line. You think accommodations in many cases don't show progress, can, can be limiting. Why? Well, the problem with the accommodation hypothesis is something like the advantage is, well, you want to do what you can to help people who might have obstacles that could be overcome to learn. That's not unreasonable. But the problem with the accommodation hypothesis is, well, what happens when you have an actual problem to solve? You're not going to be accommodated. You're not going to be accommodated in a workforce that requires genuine competition. Because if you're accommodated in a workforce that requires genuine competition, you're just going to be taken out. There's no time for that. Right. You might say, well, there should always be time. It's like, well, not if there are important things Life's at stake. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's, there's going to... That's foolish, right? Because when you're making important decisions, you're always balancing one catastrophe against another. You don't have the option that everything's going to turn out. And so the problem with accommodation, well, first of all, it's going to be gamed, and it's being gamed like mad. And second, it gives the person who's being accommodated to the wrong picture of the world to which they're going to adapt. You think about this with parenthood. How should you treat your kids? Well, as a mother and father, you should be a proxy for the world, maybe a slightly more merciful proxy. But basically, the message you send your kids about their behavior is the same message that the world is going to send them, should be, because otherwise you're not preparing them for the world. You know, so maybe your kid's annoying as hell, to you and your wife, and you don't do anything about it because you think, well, we're all mercy. It's like, that's just fine until your kid has to make a friend or, you know, deal with an adult that's not you, in which case they're going to get slaughtered. There's nothing merciful about that. And if you accommodate people beyond what the environment itself would allow, you, right. get, you misinform them about the, the world they're going to inhabit. And plus, it can be gamed, and it's being gamed constantly. Yeah, and, and lastly... I just noticed, too, as much as you know, the crowds that you draw, you told me you're going over to the Middle East where you have yeah. this huge foundation. It's unbelievable what you've done. I always find, too, when you talk about yourself and your relationships, you sound like you have the same issues that everybody has. Of course. And, yeah. But I think people, that also helps tell the Jordan Peterson story. I'm trying hard to be successful relaying what I learned, but I'm still dealing with the same stuff. Well, it's important for people to know that people who are successful, let's say, aren't the people who are fortunate enough to have no problems. No one is in the category of fortunate enough to have no problems. People like that don't exist. Everybody deals with 
aging and death and severe illness. And like, I you, know you deal with that and your wife at the same time. Yes, yes. And my daughter, too. All of us at the same time. And, you know, it's the case for everyone. Now, you meet people now and then, and I met lots of people like this in my clinical practice, who have so many things going wrong at the same time that, you know, it's just an unutterable catastrophe. But the fact that there are people like that and there are people who are clearly, clearly experiencing higher levels of misfortune, say, than the norm, doesn't mean that the successful people are the ones who have no problems. That's right. just the successful people are the people who keep on going. And, and they're fortunate enough to be able to do that often, to keep on going regardless of what's being thrown at them. Right. And, and, and that, that's in the nature of success, right? And don't take for granted one day that it's going to continue if you put your hand, uh, take your foot off the gas. Uh, yeah, that, that as well. Online school, you and your daughter yeah. working together. Yeah. What should we know and how do we get it? Well, we've got about 30 courses recorded so far in a studio in Miami. Um, they look very good. They're very professionally produced. We are trying to find the best lecturers in the world. So if you think you're a good lecturer and you want to participate, give that some thought. That's Peterson Academy. We hope we'll be ready to roll in November. We want to make sure that we have the best lectures that we can possibly provide on the most germane topics. And then we're going to ally that with a very stringent testing and accrediting system so that if you are a graduate of this particular institution. The people who hire you will know that you learned what you were aiming at learning and that you did the proper work. And that's extraordinarily important because employers need to know that. They Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson, I know you had a few hurdles to clear to get here. Uh, I really appreciate your time. I know our audience does. Best success uh, coming your direction. And, well, if you want to go see you in person, just go to... JordanBPeterson.com. Jordan yeah, there's some it. tickets on sale for a show I'm going to do in London. I started this alliance. I'm participating in this alliance for responsible citizenship, which we're trying to produce a worldview that isn't for the future, that isn't predicated on fear and compulsion. And so um, there are tickets on sale in, for London now at the O2 for the public part of that. So, Wow, you yeah. don't do things small. Dr. Yeah. Peterson, thanks so much. Hey, you Great bet. to see you, sir. Thanks for the invitation. All right. And that was the invitation, and that was the interview. You'll hear more on One Nation on Saturday night, Dr. Jordan Peterson. We come back, your turn. 1-866-408-7669, Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. So the White House... Uh, clearly uh, trying to gin up excitement for President Biden's 2024 campaign. Yes. Um, his CNN's poll from last week found that President Biden's approval rating is at only 41 percent. Only 37 percent of Americans approve of his handling of the economy. I, I, I said this in our staff meeting today. I feel like I've been noting this for three years. <laughs> President Biden is out there heralding such and such, and the American people disapprove overwhelmingly. Three years in, we're still having this conversation. Uh, welcome back, everybody. That is uh, that is Jake Tapper on CNN talking about the President Biden in his quest for re-election. He feels, according to a political story, that thanks to abortion and his success, not only does he feel he's going to win again, he's going to expand the map. He thinks he's got a shot at Ohio and North Carolina the 12-week uh, abortion ban, and uh, they think North Carolina was so unpopular with the North Carolina people. Not lawmakers got a shot, and we saw the vote 
that said uh, the Ohio uh, Republicans were trying to pass that said you need 60 votes to change the law when it comes to how many weeks abortions allowed in Ohio, that they wanted to change it to, I think, zero or six. And they were going to prevent the Democrats from getting support for that and get to, to uh, when they did a referendum, get over 60 percent. Well, that was just rejected, which means a simple 50 percent would put it back to where it was. But when you put abortion on the docket in 2022, it it barely gave the House to Republicans and stopped, it seemed, Democrat, Republicans for taking the Senate. Now, they're favored to take the Senate. They've got a few places where they're going to do it. Uh, they got a great shot uh, in Montana. Uh, tester should be done if anyone really examined his record. I think Jim Justice beats Joe Manchin easily in West Virginia. And then you see where else you can have a chance of flipping. You don't need much. Now, you've lost Manchin. It looks like you could be an independent. And over in Arizona, my goodness, Carrie Lake's going to give it another shot, it seems. But it looks as though you have a left-wing Democrat going against what could be Kristen Sinema as an independent or a moderate Democrat. And if she runs as a third party, that will absolutely deliver, it seems, the the Republican seat, uh, the seat back to Republicans where it's been traditionally Uh, For quite some time today, everyone is in Iowa uh, and they're talking about not Joe Biden, but they're talking about Republicans and they're talking about what they could do to get things going for their campaign. Because right now in Iowa, Trump is up with 43 percent. DeSantis has dropped nine. He's down to 17. He's still there today. He's at the he's at uh, he's at the uh, fair, the Iowa State Fair. Then you have Scott moving up to 11 percent. Ramaswamy, who's stronger in New Hampshire than he is in Iowa, is at five. Mike Pence at three and just qualified for the debate. I think his ticket's going to be Democrats giving him donations because he's taken on Trump. And then Christie at three percent. So that's where we're at right now. In terms of donors in Iowa that have given over $200, it's interesting. That is Trump with 117 Haley with 25, DeSantis with 17, and Pence with 7. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget One Nation, Saturday at 8 o'clock. Also, go to briankilmeade.com and tell me what you have to think, which you do think when you click on comments. Don't move. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Busy hour. Shatter Bream standing by. Howie Kurtz bringing us inside the different ways people are covering the stories that matter most. Um, so, uh, matter most as it revolves around uh, the former president and the current president. It is just astounding. It's getting more separate each and every day. It's all about Iowa this weekend. I know. The caucus is five months away. The debate two weeks away. But for the most part, in Iowa, they're looking to make some gains now. It looks like there's only one candidate on the march in Iowa, and it's Tim Scott. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Iran will not be receiving any sanctions relief. And in any instance where we would engage in um, such efforts to bring Americans home from Iran, Iran's own funds would be used 
Anthony Blinken, a foreign policy I just can't support. It looks like we're getting five uh, Iranian-Americans back, arrested for no reason. But now they're going to be free shortly for $6 billion, unfrozen from their South Korean accounts. We really don't believe they're not going to use that money for terror? I don't. Number two. Crooked Joe now wants the thug prosecutor, this deranged guy, to file a court order taking away my First Amendment rights so that I can't speak. So listen to this. We don't want you to speak about the case. Right. uh, He will. Uh, Trump trouble. Fight for the trial dates begins in earnest today. No question the former president's problems. Uh, with uh, will be a burden on his quest to become president again. We're going to look at the state of the race so far today. Number one. You definitely have made a case that his son Hunter have trafficked on that connection to the then vice president, now president. But I haven't yet seen any evidence that the president did anything wrong. Really? Really? So far, just squint hard and really think about it, Jake. Everything but a Joe Biden deposit slip. Influence peddling while in office. That's where the James Comer investigation is. And now he wants to hear from the Biden family. Soon we will find out how much and these multi-million dollar deals took place. Uh, why didn't pay taxes and where's that money today? With me right now, according to reports, is Shannon Bream. Getting set to host Fox News Sunday and relay to us her guests. But Shannon, we do have some news regarding the former president of the United States. A federal judge is assigned to the... Uh, Trump 2020 election case has sided with Trump's defense attorneys on loosening a protective order on evidence in this case, allowing him to a degree to talk to people around it and the case specifically because he's a public figure. Yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of fast and furious details coming in from the courtroom. But what the protective order that the DOJ wanted was any evidence they turned over, they didn't want the Trump team or him to be able to use it. They cite, you know, public media, you know, social media posts and that kind of stuff. But Trump's team was arguing, okay, for sensitive materials, let's just limit it to sensitive materials that we agree we won't um, turn over. And the judge said, okay, I can go for that. So she's not saying that the Trump team has to block any use of evidence that, you know, he can't talk about anything. But what the judge just did was agree that sensitive materials will include things like witness interviews, it sounds like, at the just um, from the grand jury. So what she's saying is you can't turn over things that would endanger a witness or intimidate a witness. But if it's more broadly, you know, non-sensitive evidence that we turn over to you, then the, it sounds like the former president will be able to talk about that stuff. What's the ruling as you know it with the president and his attorney like Ed Corcoran, who's already a witness against his client? What is the ruling with Nada, who's actually up for his own criminal mm-hmm. trial? They were said, don't talk about the case. Jason Williams, excuse me, Jason Miller, mm-hmm. as well as uh, Boris Epstein. All these people have been mentioned. That you shouldn't talk about the case. Yeah, I it's mean, it's really, very tough. I mean, how do you do that? Yeah, it's tricky. But what this judge has said is you can't talk about the case with other potential witnesses in the case unless there's a lawyer present. So, yeah, so how much of his inner circle is considered, you know, a witness in the case? All these unindicted co-conspirators that most of us have been able to put together the puzzle pieces and figure out who these people are. These are people that are in his daily orbit, like you said, like Walt Nauta and, and other people who are with him all the time. Um, you know, so the judge is allowing them to have conversations, but they can't talk about this case specifically unless there's a lawyer there. The good thing for the for um, President Trump and for his team is that so far nobody's talking about a gag order because 
If that were the case, he couldn't discuss this at all, which you know every rally he has, every statement, every presser, everything he does is built around the fact that these indictments are a witch hunt and that he is standing between the government and Trump supporters. So it would be really difficult if they said, no, gag order, you can't talk about this any at all. It sounds like the judge here is willing to be reasonable, is willing to hear from both sides, and is sort of splitting this down the middle. Shannon, what about this January 2nd start date <laughs> that the prosecution wants, that Jack Smith wants? When are we going to hear about that, and, and what is the argument against it? My not being a lawyer, but I hear two to three years on average, he usually takes to get a case like that ready. This guy's got two others. Uh, yeah, he's got multiple, and who knows, next week he may get another one out of Georgia. But what the, um, when it comes to as far as the campaign, the judge said today, I'm not going to take a political campaign into consideration with any of these decisions that I'm making. We saw the Florida judge when they brought up the campaign said a lot of important people with big jobs get indicted by the feds, and guess what? They have to show up for trial. So these judges don't seem to have a lot of tolerance for slowing things down, but I think Trump's team will have a good argument about January campaign aside. That is very quick. And they're saying, we need to see the evidence so we even know how long we need to prep for trial, how many weeks the trial should take. January 6th would put it so that, you know, if you get a four to six week trial, you're missing the Iowa caucuses, South Carolina, New Hampshire, Nevada, all of those early states. So I don't think that their best argument is, oh, he's running for president because this judge doesn't seem to care. I think the better argument but, that but, but probably... But she should, Shannon. Don't you think well, she she's should? she's not going to. But I think that, you know, from based on what she said this morning, I'm not going to factor that in. The better argument for them is this is a massive trial. It is historically important. We haven't seen the evidence. We're going to need more time. You know, it's amazing to me. It's really one person. So you're mm-hmm. saying that. So, OK, this this judge says uh, I agree or disagree. The other side has nowhere to go. No, they can always appeal. I mean, and a lot of things get wrapped up in appeals pre-trial, and that is going to delay things, too. I mean, if they say, all right, we're going over your head to the next step in this case would be the D.C. Circuit. If they don't like what they get there, they can try to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. There's been some discussion that they might skip a step and just try to go straight to the Supreme Court on some of these rulings if they don't come down well for them, the Trump team. Um, So, yeah, there's a real likelihood the Supreme Court gets involved in this thing sooner rather than later. And if he wins, of course, it's all, it all seems to uh, basically all go away. So and what about the, the fact state that cases. What, what, what does it matter that the president calls Jack Smith and others deranged and have uh, negative nicknames for him? Is, is that going to hurt him? Well, the judge did know today she's aware of the social media postings, so she is aware of what he's saying. And it sounds like she's trying to filter that out. It's noise. It's what he does. Um, And she says he absolutely has a First Amendment right to his free speech, but it's not like with any of us. It's not without some limits. And she said in this case, it's about the fact that I've got to have an orderly trial and an orderly proceeding and move things forward. But I fully recognize he's got a First Amendment right to say whatever he wants. So he can call people deranged. He can say she should be recused. He can say whatever he wants. What really matters is what happens in the courtroom. So his attorneys are worried that this protective order is going to be kind of setting a trap for him to get tangled up in contempt charges because this judge will will call him back into court if she feels like he's violating the order. So here is uh, Trump yesterday. Tell me what you think of this. Cut 13. How can my corrupt political opponent, crooked Joe Biden, put me on trial during an election campaign that I'm winning by a lot, but forcing me nevertheless to spend time and money away from the campaign trail in order to fight bogus, made-up accusations and charges. That's what they're doing. I'm sorry, I won't be able to go to Iowa today. I won't be able to go to New Hampshire today because I'm sitting in a courtroom on bullshit. 
What do you think? <laughs> well, like I said, try that argument with these different judges. The one in Florida who everybody argues is, you know, was appointed by him, is going to be more empathetic to him, has had rulings that are good for him in the past. She is one of the ones who said, I can't factor in that he's running for president. We got to just move on. His team is going to argue, though, you can't ignore that. This is of historic significance. The Justice Department is an arm of the executive branch that is, you know, backing President Biden, who is running against this guy, probably in a head-to-head rematch. So they're going to make the argument over and over again that there are political issues here. But whether these Mm -hmm. judges will buy it, that's a big question. I mean, they're (sighs) going to say, you know, of course, innocent in this country, unless you're proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, But whether that should be fast-tracked into a five- or six-month trial, that sounds quick to those of us who have been involved with trials in the past. Do you believe when people say that Jack Smith could be trying the January 6th case in four to six weeks? I think once he gets going, I think that's possible. It's interesting in court today, too, that the DOJ lawyer who's in there arguing about this protective order says the January 6th committee turned more things over to them that weren't even seen publicly. So they've got a bunch of stuff that Trump's team is going to say, all right, we can't get ready for a trial if we haven't even seen this stuff. So, again, I think that the January 2nd ask date to start this trial is probably not going to hold. So we'll see in the order in which it's out there anyway. But, you know, January 2nd, right near January 6th in Washington, D.C., the city where it happened in a in a court where in a, a district where he got 5 percent of the vote, it seems mm-hmm. to be ripe for it to move on. So we don't know if Georgia's next. I noticed that Dan Abrams came out, ABC contributor, mm-hmm. uh, legal analyst, said there's no reason for Georgia to file this suit. It's already been filed in a different way for January 6th, so they shouldn't file it. He got blowback from it. But do you agree with that? Well, I mean, you could argue that, but George is going to say we've got our own, whether it's racketeering laws, we've got other things down here that are very specific involving, you know, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, the phone call, all of that kind of stuff. I can't imagine that a state prosecutor like Fannie Willis, who people say, you know, wants to make a name for herself, wants to come down as, you know, tough on the former president and, you know, alleged election interference, all those kinds of things. I don't know that she'll be able to resist. I mean, you look at the Fulton County Courthouse that is now barricaded and surrounded with protection measures. And I'm thinking back, listen, you got to be prepared for anything. But over the last couple of years, it hasn't been MAGA people burning down courthouses. So, you know, there's the optics of it, too, which make me think she's not going to miss the opportunity to also say, I've got, you know, state violations here and I've got my own indictment and we're going to do that one as well. So here is the former president kissing up to uh, Fannie Willis, cut 14. And I probably have another one. They say there's a young woman, uh, a young racist in Atlanta, say racist. And they say, I guess, they say that she was after a certain gang and she ended up having an affair with the head of the gang or a gang member. And this is a person that wants to indict me. She's got a lot of problems, but she wants to indict me to try and run for some other office. So do you think this sweet talk will work? (laughs) That does not go down well with the prosecutor who's holding your fate in their hands. Remember, he can, if he gets elected and convicted on any of these things, he can pardon himself, but not on state charges. So you got state charges in uh, in March, the case out of New York that he's going to face. And if Georgia comes up with something, he's got that as well. I wouldn't antagonize the prosecutor in the place where I can't even protect myself, even if I did win. Um, You know, it would be crazy to think that he gets off on the federal charges or He's convicted, elected, pardons himself, and he gets stuck on a state charge. I don't know that I would throw gasoline on that fire, but right. he loves the fight. I don't. I haven't picked that up. 
Uh, but the other thing would be, uh, does the go- can the governor pardon him? Can Governor Kemp pardon him? Yeah, that becomes part of the conversation, too, because, like, in New York, obviously, Governor Hochul is not going to pardon him. But could Governor Kemp? I mean, there are conversations there. Think about how nasty things have gotten between those two at times. Um, you know, right. <laughs> but all is fair in love and politics, right? So I, I want you to hear just a little bit about what's going on. As you know, this Hunter Biden investigation is getting extremely intriguing and as Jonathan Turley says, you're not going to see a big deposit slip from Joe Biden say, well, the, into my passbook savings account. It's going to be different, uh, different ways in which the family uh, would have benefited. About eight have already received money from Rosemont Seneca. And we're supposed to believe the president who parachuted in uh, 10 to 20 times over the last 10 years, according to Devin uh, Archer, had nothing to do with it. Still, people are bending over backwards bending over backwards to make sure this doesn't link back to not everybody link back to the current president. Listen to Jake Tapper, uh, cut one. You definitely have made a case that the people who are around president Biden in terms of the lobbyists and his son Hunter have trafficked on that connection to the then vice president, now president, but I haven't yet seen any evidence that the president did anything wrong. Can you do both things? Can you traffic using influence, using allowing your family to benefit and honestly follow up with saying the president did nothing wrong? Well, listen, of course, the left is going to this man is running for reelection. He is our current president. And they're going to say rightfully there isn't a deposit with his name on the <laughs> deposit slip. There is no word of him being party to one of these um, you know, contracts or him negotiating, saying, oh, I get such and so percentage. I mean, if if you know you don't have that, it's going to be really tough to try to bring impeachment or convince other people, even some Republicans, that it's worth going down this stretch. On the other hand, you're going to have plenty of folks saying Comer says more bank records are coming, more is coming down the pike. Um, it, it begs the question about that FD-1023 form from the FBI, where there are allegations, unverified at this point, that there are recordings that involve Hunter Biden or Joe Biden having conversations about some of these deals. If they exist, if they are legitimate, that would be very interesting to hear. What were the conversations that actually involved then Vice President Biden? I think everybody wants to know the answer to that question. So is anybody investigating that 1023, you know, U.S. Attorney Weiss out of Delaware has said, with respect to Hunter, yes, there are ongoing investigations. But we remember when we talked to the IRS whistleblowers that were investigating Hunter's finances and his tax violations, they never saw the 1023. How could they investigate it if they never even saw it? Right. Real quick, do, do you believe? Uh, uh, do you believe in the big in the big picture? Uh, abortion will still be the backbreaker it was for Republicans as it was in 2022. It's very tricky for them, and a lot of states are saying, let's get it onto the ballot so it drives out Democrat um, turnout for Biden and for all the other you know, federal and state races out there. Um, but there's some consternation within the Democratic Party, some who say, be careful where you try this. They worry because in Florida there's apparently a move to try to get an abortion measure on the ballot. They think that's actually going to bring out pro-lifers in a very red state like that. Very interesting. Shannon Bream, who's on this weekend? Adam Smith, Mike McCall, CeCe Winans. We'll see you Sunday. Going to be great. Thanks so much. Uh, She is Shannon Bream. I am Brian Kilmeade. And you're next. 1-866-408-7669. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. Uh, I got this uh, email from uh, Luis Loneta. 
what a piece of garbage that uh, that man is, meaning the president. All he does is cry and look for another tax dollar to solve the problem. Oh, excuse me, the mayor he's talking about. All he does is cry and look to for my tax dollars to solve his problems. Uh, these elected officials who created these problems, uh, they're sanctuary city. You made your bed, now sleep in it. Alex, you're also in New York. What's on your mind? Yeah, and by the way, about the mayor, yesterday you mentioned that he's he's pretty proud of the fact that the nightclubs are doing well here yes. in New York. Yeah, and so I think that's because spending a lot of time there and he's spending a lot of money on the nightclubs where he goes. So I think we got to look at his paycheck that he's making from being mayor and kind of cut that in three and only give him a third of it because we can't have him spending the nights in the nightclub when he's not doing his job. You know, he ran on fighting crime and then he came in and said he had no plan. He went to the border and invited the illegal immigrants in here and now he has no plan for how to deal with them. He's a real mayor name only. I think he's a moron totally. But uh, I love the conversation he just had with you played with Jordan Peterson. Kids that are growing up, we got to set them up for the real world. And sadly, what we're seeing, the real world, world is changing because it used to be if life gives you lemons, live with it. And then as we modernize, we said make lemonade out of it. Nowadays, we're saying if you have, if you're a victim, go to your local shop, steal nine hundred dollars worth of stuff, you'll get away with it. So it seems like we're really helping the victims and we're being kind to them. You're but in the totally past, people were jumping. Over. I hear you, Alex. Got you used to it. Life not easy. Get over it. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. How can my corrupt political opponent, crooked Joe Biden, put me on trial during an election campaign that I'm winning by a lot, but forcing me nevertheless to spend time and money away from the campaign trail in order to fight bogus, made-up accusations and charges? That's what they're doing. I'm sorry, I won't be able to go to Iowa today. I won't be able to go to New Hampshire today because I'm sitting in a courtroom on bullshit. So that is some of the comments the president's made, very direct, very passionate. Uh, Howie Kurtz is with us now to talk about what's at stake because this is unplowed ground because the way the media is covering both campaigns, fascinating and disturbing in my view, and the way with Donald Trump's dealing with where you have a guy winning at the same time looking, he's had three titanic, at least two, big cases against him, and it's all coming straight down the pike. And today... We understand January uh, the the bids will begin to uh, be presented where the prosecution wants this thing to start on January 2nd and the uh, defense says it's way too quick. With me right now is Howie Kurtz. Uh, you know he's getting set to host his show this weekend, but I'm sure this will be all over it. Howie, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, host of Media Buzz. Howie, uh, first off, you think that those, and that was an example of the president being nervous. Well, irritated, agitated. Uh, I've known Donald Trump for 35 years, and even when he's in trouble, uh, you might read a story. Sources say he's angry or frustrated, but, you know, he presents this bravado mixed with humor. When In that clip you just played, he seemed to me to be seriously annoyed. Like for the first time it was dawning on him that these multiple trials were going to prevent him from going out and campaigning in Iowa and in New Hampshire and other states. Uh, it is a practical problem. Other people have made that observation. But I, he seemed a little rattled to me. And again, having known him a long time, uh, I thought he was letting it show. Well, look, he's going to Washington, D.C., where you are. 
and he's going to be in front of a judge that's known as the punisher by the severe sentences she's given to January 6th. Uh, people, they're saying Jack Smith's saying he's behind the whole thing. So you got to figure things are stacked against him. Which is explained to me is if he has his trial and it goes four to five weeks and he loses, even if he eventually wins on appeal temporarily, he goes to jail. Can you imagine this? It is hard to imagine. There's so many things that are unprecedented about this campaign. I mean, to me, the campaign is the trials now. They get so much coverage, 24 hours a day. Uh, certainly, you know, we all have to be, be sort of lawyers and remember, well, which trial are we talking about? Is it classified documents? Is it January 6th? Is it the piece of junk that Alvin Bragg dug up uh, in Manhattan? But nevertheless, it's all time-consuming. And, and also, you talked about the coverage of two different campaigns. Joe Biden is hardly getting any coverage at all. I mean, you almost forget he's president. He's almost been wiped off the media radar as everything seems to be Trump, Trump, Trump. Now, Trump likes being the center of attention. He likes being talked about. That's why he's doing the uh, maybe I'll go to the debate, maybe I won't go to the debate. You know, he, he likes to suck up all the oxygen. But the consequences here, as you say, what if he loses one of these trials? Even if even if he wins, it is going to take an enormous amount of money legal resources, and time, which is the most precious thing a candidate has. And so I don't blame him. I'd be annoyed, too. So it's so fascinating. Let's pivot over to Joe Biden. So he's taking, sat down with the Weather Channel. And before that, it was early July before he did an interview before that. And the Weather Channel was upset he wasn't more to the left or more green-oriented. Right. It was nuts. And then you saw Peter Ducey come back from break, be behind bike racks, and be waved over and asked that question of, you know, you said you were not involved in your son's business dealings, but you were there on a speakerphone and said, uh, he goes, you know, what, you know what, let's hear the question again. Uh, let's hear the, uh, the Peter Ducey question again. Um, yeah, I want you to hear this because I think it sets up the big story. This He does not have to answer any tough questions where Trump will sit down with anyone at any time, including a 45-minute to one-hour town hall. So Peter Ducey is coming at an event. He's sitting behind bike racks. And it looks as though he's going to be stopped from asking a question, at which time the president puts his hand up and says, come on over. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. There's this testimony now where one of your son's former business associates is claiming that you were on speakerphone a lot with them talking business. Is that what? I've never talked business in anybody. And I I know you'd have a lousy question. Well, what do you, it's, why is that a lousy question? Because it's not true. Does that suffice for you, Howie? Well, first of all, the answer doesn't, and, and Peter didn't have a chance after that to follow up. Secondly, Joe Biden seems to act as if the mere act, I mean, you, look, there's a lot going on. I'm sure you've talked about it on day after day on the show here uh, with Hunter Biden, with his plea bargain blowing up, with the ex-business partner who said, no, I don't know that Joe Biden got any money, but I do know that the family got you know millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, Joe Biden knows how it works. He doesn't have to talk business to these people. He just has to get on the phone. And then Hunter says, look, I can get the VP on the phone. He was the vice president at the time. Anytime. So, you know, Biden got, has got to get more realistic about this. He's going to be questioned about it. And I, I thought Peter asked the question in a respectful manner. manner. Going back to the Weather Channel, uh, Biden actually said, well, I had to this uh, reporter who apparently doesn't know that much about climate, I have declared a national climate emergency, but she did have the instinct to say, to follow up, oh, you have? And he said, well, practically speaking. Well, no, he hasn't. It's an entirely different thing. He's spent a lot of money on climate. He can brag about that, but he has not declared a national emergency. So after that exchange and him literally turning around and walking away, here's what Martha asked Admiral Kirby. 
Uh, the president said, I never talked business to anybody. Um, but Devin Archer testified that the point of putting the phone, the speakerphone, down at those meetings, which is what Peter was asking about, was just to demonstrate access, that Hunter had access to the then vice president uh, and to sell the Biden brand. So what do you say about that, John? And, and when will the president actually answer some of these questions to put some of this to rest himself? Oh, my goodness, Martha. I mean, he just did with Peter. I mean, he's the one who called Peter over and had Peter, you know, risk life and limb cutting across that barrier. I mean, he specifically called Peter over. Uh, right. And, he, you know, look, he knows Peter. He knows Peter's not going to ask some softball question about, uh, you know, about uh, how his vacation was. He, he knows who Peter is, and he answered that question. So he actually believes that he could spin his way out. The guy answers one question in two months. He asked it, and that should be enough. I like John Kirby, but that was not the best uh, spin. Uh, you know, not only did he answer one question, but he came back and said it was a lousy question, as if Peter were coming out of left field uh, with something crazy. that nobody would have been expected. There's been so much coverage of the president's son. I understand it's an uncomfortable position for him. Hunter Biden uh, has used the family name to engage in buck wrecking around the world. And, yeah, when you can get the VP on the phone that's in the coin of the realm here in Washington. That shows you're an important person. You have access to important people. He doesn't have to sit around and discuss the details with investors and potential investors. So I think Kirby was uh, uh, playing a weak hand there. Howie, uh, you're not going to see a deposit slip with Joe Biden's name on it. The product, as Peter Schweitzer said yesterday, that no one's been able to answer around in the Howie in the Joe Biden orbit is. What is the product that Hunter Biden was selling, that Devin Archer was a part of, uh, that Eric Sherwin was controlling the finances for? The product is influence. There's only one person with influence, and there's only one person on a speakerphone or in person with influence, and that is Joe Biden. He can't possibly think he's going to get away with that. So I want you to hear an exchange with James Comer and Jake Tapper. Cut to. What did the president do wrong, though? Well, remember, when we started this investigation at the end of January, that's when I got subpoena power, the last week in January, the narrative was the laptop was Russian disinformation. Joe Biden's family never received money from China. Joe Biden's family never received any of this money while he was vice president. And Joe Biden never communicated with any of the people that sent his family this money. All four of those things have been proven false. So our investigations already turned up a lot of information. Now, I think even though there may not be any curiosity by by my friends at CNN, I think there's curiosity by a majority of Americans that, wait a minute, you're telling me... I'm very Joe curious Biden's about it, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm very okay. curious about right. it. That's why I'm reading your reports. That's why I have you on the show. So they're just, they, they were so willing to jump to conclusions on the, most, the craziest evidence with the Russia situation, but here they're on the cusp. All they have to do is walk through the threshold. And they would even speculate about Joe Biden's role in the money that came in. And here's the bigger question. Where is this money? And if you're worried about a, some money that Hunter might have made, Burisma's not been declared. That, that, and where is the money here? You talk about $100,000 in taxes. That's what he's plea bargaining. What about the millions that was paid to Rosemont Seneca and that eight different Bidens benefited from? Uh, there's no question it's an unseemly spectacle for, not that this has never happened in history, for president's relatives, not just Hunter, to be basically cashing in. And there's this email uh, in the investigation where Hunter Biden himself, 
about 10 years ago talking about a Chinese businessman, says he's not interested in me. He's interested in my last name. That is the way Washington works. Now, I do think, Brian, Republicans have to be a little careful about overreaching because some of them have gone on and said, implied, insinuated uh, that Joe Biden got a bunch of money out of this. That has not been proven. If it is proven, his campaign's over. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of this other stuff is coming out. And I think the White House is moving the goalposts in terms of its denials. What's interesting is uh, keep your eyes on Eric Sherwin, who controlled the money and whose correspondence talked about pay this and pay that. And if Joe Biden's bills are being paid by Hunter, where's Hunter's income? And I just think the American people need to know that everything they were told in 2020 was wrong. The president looked down the barrels of the camera and said, I know nothing about my son's overseas business dealings. Mm -hmm. Yet he's golfing with one partner and meeting with another handwritten note that said, sorry, I wasn't able to come to you. I was stuck talking to the president of China today. So he clearly is comfortable not telling the truth. And we have evidence of it. And the Washington Post walked it back this week too. their support of his. His untruths. Yeah, and a remarkable lack of interest by the mainstream media, most of them at least, in exactly what we're talking about. I mean, can you imagine Republican president, son? I mean, we went through some of this with the Trump family. I just think even if you're going to be skeptical about it, look into it, dig into it. I mean, it's, it's gotten almost no coverage, maybe because they're all busy covering all the Trump litigation. Crazy. It's like two different worlds. Uh, We'll see if they actually collide. Howie, who are you having on this weekend? Do you know? Uh, I got a whole bunch of people, including uh, Gianna Caldwell, including, uh, let's see. Uh, It'll come to me in a second, Brian. I got an all-star lineup. We're going to talk about the Hunter thing. We're going to talk about the Trump litigation, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I know. It's uh, the biggest story. The the biggest story is, is, is Trump and Biden got it. But the subplot is how the media is covering it, and that's what Media Buzz is about. Howie, thanks so much. Great to talk to you, Brian. You got it. Uh, listen, when we come back, we'll wrap things up. Keep in mind, One Nation, Saturday at 8 o'clock, amongst our great guests, uh, we'll examine uh, this and more, including Shoykin, the prosecutor that was fired by Joe Biden, who Joe Biden said, well, he was corrupt. Well, the Burisma wanted him fired because he was prosecuting Burisma. He spoke out. You're going to hear through a translator what he had to say. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Just to wrap things up, just give you an idea what's on One Nation this weekend. Uh, a lot of times I say who these guests are great on the radio and try to bring them over. That's what I'm going to do with Jordan Peterson. You'll have a shot at that. You're going to hear from Zuby. I have a theory, and maybe you don't agree with me. I think things are getting better, and here's why. And that's going to be the theme, at least in my open of the show, is because I believe if you see some Republican congressmen coming forward and saying, we're getting killed on immigration, and the president has let us down there. He has to step up and show some leadership. When you see a D.C. councilman stand up and say, we are in a war zone. Crime is so out of control. We need help. And think about how far we've come. When the wall was racist, you don't like Hispanic people. It doesn't work. It's something the Vikings did. Now people want protection at the border. Now people say, well, cops are the problem. Let's defund the police. 
Now we need the police. We're in a war zone. Instead of MTR prisons, bail reform, people are looking around going, my life sucks. It is dangerous for my family and for me. Things are getting better. And on a side note, and follow me on this, when Megan Rapino leads the rebels in taking a knee in an international soccer match and then later the World Cup and Olympics, taking a knee because she's embarrassed for our country with her purple hair and her uh, chip on her shoulder. Of course, one of the top five players in the country. That's fine. It has been for 10 years. She, okay, you're a great athlete, great dedication. Doesn't mean I like your attitude. And when she was in the Canyon of Heroes after winning the World Cup last time out, second one, the mouth that she showed, the cursing, when she knew there were eight and 10-year-olds in there who looked up to her, I thought, what is this? Is she drunk? She out of control? I've watched all the Yankees, Giants, Mets, every jet, not Jets, uh, giant, you know, go down to the Canyon of Heroes, astronauts, nobody curses. Megan Rapino does. Well, this time going for three straight World Cups, we watch a team totally disjointed, arrogant, indifferent in all three games after qualifying, barely taking selfies with the other team and with fans to the point where Collie Lloyd calls them out. And then they blow it in the first round, earliest exit ever, one of the biggest disappointments in sports, even though it hurts Fox Sports. I have never in my life seen more people say about an American national team, glad they're done. Mega Rapino over the top on a PK, it happens. Missing sitters in real time, it happens. But if you're a great, arrogant player with a swagger and could, could say you're a world champion and the country's not living up to what your standard is, and then you do those things, it's amazing how quick the worm turns. And then you look at the cancel culture with that hip-hop star who came out and said, yeah, I have five kids and." uh uh, he has five kids. He's got three boys. And if, they, if one of my sons walked up to me and said, I want to be a girl, I'd say, no, that's, I'm not into that. I can't believe we'd do that. The publicist says, oh, my God, that's terrible. You said that we're going to change it. And then he stepped forward again and says, no, I'm not changing my mind. I, what I said, I said, if you don't want to follow me, don't follow me. If I insulted you too bad, as a parent, I don't believe a seven-year-old should be picking their gender, which we all know is right. But all these things are changing. I feel I think people are sobering up and be able to go back to their instincts and how they were brought up. And that's what I'm going to bring up with uh, in my open today. I think things are changing and it's time to stand up. If you have done things right and you feel as though you're a parent that has these certain beliefs, you shouldn't knuckle under and worry about it anymore. You should stand up. You don't like your school. You don't like what they're saying. You don't like these books in there. Stand up and say something. You know, and, and I think... You know, you, you don't want your daughter getting dressed in the locker room with a with a male that is transitioning to be a uh, female. Say something. Be more Riley Gaines than Megan Rapino. And that's why I think that's why I'm going to build on that theme today. And we're also going to have a chance to talk to Jamie Lissau. One of the underreported stories in my life is my great dog Willow is just one but has destroyed uh, something valuable in all of our lives, whether it's eating a hat, eating a uh, historic ornament in our family, uh, stealing the toilet paper, or uh, stealing one of the uh, stuffed animals. I'm going to compare that to what Jamie Listow is also experiencing with his puppy. It's going to be a hard-hitting interview. You'll only get there. And then we're also going to talk about uh, what's going on with the Hunter investigation, where it could be heading if you follow the leads that we're getting and how it all relates to the war in Ukraine, sadly. The war is the right thing to do, but the president has sullied the mission because of his dubious links to that country. Uh, you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much. 
Remember, BrianKilmead.com. You can get the show anytime, anywhere if you can't listen live. It's a podcast. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.